Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear, and fine leather goods, all at 50% to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. The Late Lunch with Blackstone Motors, Drahada Dundalk, and Cavan. We have amazing offers available across the Renault, Dacia, and Opel range. Whether it is a petrol, diesel, LPG, plug-in hybrid, or electric, we have the perfect car for you. See blackstonemotors.ie. Well, it's almost home now for sure, folks. Well done, England. Congratulations. European final beckons on Sunday evening. Just Italy between the home of football and winning their first major tournament since 1966. I was watching last night. Well, it was a soft penalty. There's no doubt about that. It was soft, but that's football for you. The ref, I thought he'd go to VAR myself, to be honest with you, and have a look at it, uh, but he didn't even check it. And Smichael, he was unlucky, wasn't he, with the penalty? Just the way it came at him, he could have pushed it out, but there you go. Fortune favoured them, there's no doubt about it. But you know what I want to say? I think England were the best team, to be honest with you, because they created more chances in the game. Schmeichel was uh, busier than the other keeper. Not that there were a lot of chances in the match, and uh, they're through. They're in the final. It doesn't surprise me one bit. I was out watching it in company. There was a huge cheer, which you'd expect when the Danes scored. And then it was a bit muted when England uh, equalised and then got the winner. But there were English fans there. There were people wearing their English shirts and they were so happy. And, well, if it were, if it were us, we'd be the same. We'd be so happy as well. And listen to this. You talk about the attraction of football and soccer and that it is the real world game. There's no doubt about it. Soccer is the game of the world. A million people, over a million people watched that game here in this country last night. The figures are astonishing. They really are. Anyway, well done to England. It's the Italians now between them and Glory. What do you think? Have you an opinion? We were talking about it on the show yesterday. Do you wish England well? Are there English fans again? I say to you, you're out there today. Happy, happy people, I'm sure. Let me know your thoughts. I'd love to hear from you. 086-1800-658. WhatsApp or text me to the show if you want to call in. It's 1850-715-958. I feel on Monday and late lunch, I'll be playing that song in full. 
in celebration. I do feel that. Brian's uh, nodding his head in there. No, he's not. He's uh, turning his head from side to side. He doesn't believe it, but I think England will win. I think. But the only team, well, if you wanted a team to maybe stop them, it's the Italians, that's for sure. Anyway, welcome to Late Lunch. This Thursday afternoon, we'll be busy with chat and more besides for the next couple of hours and standing patiently by. And I'm sure she was watching the game last night. I miss her so much on the Fridays at the end of the month and the other girls as well. Yes, she is one of our women with opinions owner of Sage and Stone in the league, Kira Burke. Good afternoon. Good afternoon, Jerry. And yes, I was watching the match last night. I didn't see it all, but I saw the last um, the last half, I suppose. But yeah. I thought it was I thought it was very entertaining. Yes. And you know what? I just think Gareth Southgate is a lovely lot. He uh, is. Nice. I, I, I'd like to win it for him mm. as well as the, uh, mm. as the thing. I thought, I think we should just get behind them. Ah, now you're talking. Now, do you hear Kira Burke, folks? Get behind England and support them on Sunday night. Well, is it not time that we just moved on in, in Ireland? Like, I mean, you know, we have the, the North, you know, they're part of England. You know, we, do, we have lots of relations that uh, are in England. We have lots of families mm. in England. We have families living here. Like, there's a lot of English people living here. Yes. I mean, they're nearly afraid to go out and celebrate for their team. Like... <laughs> Do you know what I mean? So I just think, you know, apart from supporting the chippers now and all that kind of stuff on, on Sunday, like we have them as well. Yeah. So like we could be between the two, but I think, you know, pick a team and just to go get behind them. I mean, we're, we haven't got there. So, no. you know, I, no. I wouldn't, I wouldn't, um, I wouldn't let uh, not support England because of go. the history. Do there you, know you I mean? go. I think we need to just move on. Well, I'm just thinking the one thing: if Italy do win, free chips all round on Monday or no, <laughs> Sunday think night. The, but the other thing is, like, we support English players all year round. Yes. Half our, our Irish team is full mm. of you know fellas living in England. So yeah. you know what I mean. Like, let's just put history behind it. It's a game. Mm. Like, it's football. It's sport. It shouldn't have politics involved. Let's just support them. Ah, well, a fella called um, Shankly once said the Liverpool manager famously it's more important he says in a Scottish accent than life or death because that's the way he looked at the game from his perspective but yes. there you go well, it is a sport most people, most people do look at sport as their, as their <laughs> yeah. god or their you know so I mean you know let's just like, get behind them and you know fly the flag yeah, 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 yeah. Anyway, yes, Kira did say that. She said that the North is part of England. There's a list around to me there already. Did Kira really say that? She did. Well, look at you know well, well, Did I really say that? But sure it is. It's yeah. politically this, uh, part of England. It is the UK. Mm. Sorry, where are they living the last... Um... Yes, it is. And, and, you know, that is a statement of fact, folks. That That is a fact. And, you know, there are people have uh, well and validly held reasons to say, you know, that the island should be a united Ireland as one. And yet there are a block of people in the north of this country who feel more allegiance... Two. Absolutely, we have to, and we have UK. to look. We have to appreciate them too. Yeah, you know what I mean. Like, there's a cohort of people who live in the north, and they've always been British. There's a cohort that always been Irish. So, like, there is a mix. It'll never be solved. But uh, I just think we all have to live in peace. Well said. Peace is all we can uh, hope for in this world of ours. If you can live a life of peace and you have health and happiness and you have a roof over your head and a bit of grub on the table and put a smile on your face, what more can you ask for? Now, Kira, I I rang you today and thanks for that. I I have enjoyed our conversation. This woman is versatile, sport, anything, throw it at her and she can take it. Anyway, look, I wanted to ask you, how's the form? We haven't been talking for a while. How are you getting on? Have, Have you reopened? Are you reopening? What your thoughts about okay, the whole... so I didn't reopen on the 7th of June for outside dining, uh, like serving people hot food at, outside because 
fr- frankly, uh, we, I, I don't believe that we have the weather for it. I'm looking at people posting up videos of sitting with their, you know, rain coming down on their food. And my God, you know, like I feel so sorry for people who are trying. Do you know what I mean? Mm. Now, I have, I have a lot of outdoor space, have a, lot of, a lot of outdoor seating, but I'm still working from my takeaway. Um, so people can eat outside at Sage and Stone and they can get a coffee and whatever. But it's from my takeaway barn, which is a, a separate entity from my restaurant. Okay. But when the restaurant opens, I want to be able to open, you know, inside, outside. You know, when people, when it starts to rain, I want to have, be able to accommodate them inside. You know, people say, why don't you put up a tent? Well, because I don't put up a tent because on the sunny days, people want to sit outside in the sunshine. It's, it's an absolute nightmare. I think we have a meeting every morning, right? Where are we this week? What are we doing? When are we opening? What does the government say? It's exhausting, Jerry. It's mm. exhausting. I had to wait. I waited now. I was, I was getting ready this morning, doing a bit of laundry and stuff. And I said, you know what? I'm going to listen to Claire Byrne. She's a few restaurateurs coming in. And uh, they were talking to Mary Lou. And you know, I just wanted to see what other people were saying and what other restaurants were saying about, you know, what they were going to plan to do on the 19th if the government allow. And we have this, you know, European, we're meant to have some European QR code or something. Is yes. that what we're meant to be looking at yes. coming into restaurants? Like, sorry, but who in their over 60s, unless you're quite sophisticated nowadays, will have their QR code downloaded and ready to go? I'm sorry, but, you know, a lot of my customers are in that age bracket. And, you know, will they really be bothered? Mm. But, but here's the thing, Kira. Uh, they're trying to come up with a mechanism that will make this thing work. But as you, as somebody, an owner, how do you feel about having to make a call like that to say to somebody, have you got this? You can't come in. You haven't got it? Good luck. Yeah, well, I, I, I think it's going to be really difficult, Jerry, because, you know, I get lots of families. It's the summertime. Yep. You know, lots of families off. Am I going to say, OK, you know, your two teenage kids are going to have to sit in the leper colony outside, and, but you are very welcome to come inside. Do you know what I mean? Like, mm. like it's an, it's look. We can say I can say all I like and say right. I'm going to be the police. I'm going to do it, and then you know. But people then, you know, my my staff are not vaccinated yet. Mm. You know, they they haven't got around to that uh, age yes. age cohort yet. So, are, and then I know there are people saying, well, if their staff are not vaccinated, I'm I'm go- I'm not going in. And I've heard that from people. You know, people have the idea that if you're not vaccinated, you have COVID. Mm. Do you know what I mean? Mm. There is that whole thing. Like, there's a lot of people who have chosen not to get vaccinated who are young and say, I'm going to take my chances. And that is their right, Jerry. Mm. And, you know, we all say, look, let's get everyone vaccinated. And, you know, in a, in, in a real, in, a, in an ideal world, and we all know the vaccination is very safe, but there's a cohort of people who are saying, I'll take my chances, thank you very much. And I'm not going to um, have anyone tell me what to do. Mm. Have you had the jab? I have, yeah. I got the Janssen one, the double. I would have taken Jay's fluid if I thought I was going to be, um, um, what do you call it, uh, if I was going to be vaccinated. But see, the thing about it is, there's so many people who have never uh, been through a pandemic, including myself. I've yes. never been through a pandemic in yes. my life. Yes. I have no idea what my mother was through one, and she got TB back in the 50s, and mm. she still has the, the TB, you know, the, yes. the effects of it. Mm. Everyone was then vaccinated, and then we were all, thank God, got vaccinated from TB. Otherwise, we could be living with it at the minute. Yes. But a lot of people don't realise that these pandemics, uh, like the vaccination has absolutely been, there's been so much money and, and uh, stuff thrown at it, and research and never has a vaccination had more research behind it and more checks and, and balances yeah. uh, that I'm actually quite happy to take it. Mm. But there are people 
who, you know, for their own reasons... Yes, the question. Uh, absolutely. And I have to say, uh, when you mentioned the Jay Slut, I was just thinking of Trump. I said, is I she know. really a Trump follower? I'm not a Trump when, supporter when, now, really. I'm not. <laughs> but you know what, Jerry? There's a lot of people from, say, Ceausescu's regime living in this, this country, and he vaccinated a lot of people in, in, in back in the day. In Romania. In Romania. And there's a lot of Romanians here, and I would say... They're probably very afraid of it because of the implications and the health implications and the the um, the, the the results of that vaccination. And you know, like I can understand that too, and I can understand Eastern Europeans who would have been very close to that regime yeah. and knew all about it and saying, "I'm not taking it. I, I I've seen it before." Do you know what I mean? Yeah. So I, you cannot tell everybody. And then, of course, there's the people who, you know, well, I'm not doing what the government say. You know, like the anti-establishment, you know, as if the government want this. I mean, let's say this today. The government do not want COVID. They don't want to have to be vaccinating everyone. Do you think mm. that they want to be billions and billions in debt and put people out of work? They don't want it. I wouldn't like to be a government minister or a thing for all the tea in China. Nothing would pay me to be a government minister at the moment because I think they have a, a desperate job to do. It's a hard Hard call, you know. You're between a rock and a hard place. And uh, I there's... think they're getting a lot of slack from uh, the public. Oh, the government having a clue what they're doing? No, they don't. Because this week we have a new de- Delta variant that we didn't have pre seventh of, of June, mm. and we didn't have, and it is rampant everywhere, rampant yeah. everywhere. Mm. So, um, and the other thing is, the health service are probably uh, because if you have the Delta variant in your family. You have to isolate. Now, if I'm a healthcare worker and I have someone coming in, uh, my son has the Delta variant, mm. I can't go to work. Mm. So it's not that they're bringing it into the hospital, it's that they won't have the staff if the Delta variant goes rife in this country. Yes, and what they're afraid of, Kira, is that we're landed back to a situation when we were teetering on the brink of not being able to cope. You know, that's, yeah. that's the, that underpins, I say this again on the show here, uh, you know, our health service and its capability has come to the fore now again. You know, uh, in terms of what we can cope or not cope. But, and as you said, this is a, an unprecedented time. So look, really, it's, what you're saying to me is it's a moving feast all the time. Uh, you oh, know, look, We're going to have to live with this thing. Yes. And, and you know what, I I think that get, get, from my point of view, get everyone vaccinated ASAP. Get, uh, you know, get them vaccinated, young people, get them back to college, school, whatever. And we're just going to have to live with it. It's not going to be something that's going away. People mm. will still get sick, but we're going to have to live with it. And that's just it. So uh, you, you, you don't know yet. The 19th of July is not that far away. We're the 8th of the day. You're waiting to see, waiting to hear what way they're going to... Yeah, and uh, you know what? It's really difficult for a business to plan because yeah. we, you know, we have to get more staff. So we can't tell, you know, we have 200 people sitting with CVs in waiting to get, like there's 200 CVs on our desk waiting to uh, get the call or interviewed or whatever. We don't even know when we can tell them they'll have a job. Mm. You know what I mean? So we don't know what we're looking for. We don't know. So it's, it's just a really hard... Um, it's a hard thing to plan. Yeah, and, and, and can I come on to can I just come on to that for a second? Because you know we're hearing about places that can't get staff. Yeah. So well, I'm a daytime restaurant. Yes. I'm a daytime I see, restaurant. I see. Yes. People different. are yeah. looking for. I'm telling you, people are looking for their life. I mean, I'm looking at will I do a four day week for my staff? Four days on, four days off. Like it's all about the employee at the moment, Jerry. They are dictating their terms, their uh, employment, their, their lifestyle. It's not about money. It's about their lifestyle. And there's a lot of people 
do not want to go back to nighttime working, weekend okay. working. Mm. Do you know what I mean? Mm. Now, I'm lucky that I'm a daytime. We finish at five, half five, and, uh, you know, we work hard, we're busy. But, um, and that's how I have a lot of, of um, emails because people want to change their, and it's amazing. I, I wouldn't like to be at nighttime restaurants mm. for all mm. the tea in China because so I think it's going to be difficult for them to get staff. That's a significant change that you're yep. seeing as well, that this has uh, made people think about, yep. you know, work, life, the yep. balance, all that. You, you told me before, I remember months ago we were talking, and, and when we're in the in the throes of this with lockdown, you were saying, I'm rethinking the whole thing. Yeah. Mm. No, no, I am. And I'm actually rethinking, you know, four days on, four days off. Will I be able to manage yep. that? You know, I was listening to another interview about, you know, a company whose who's pro- productivity had increased 20% and their, their staff were on a four-day week. They just work harder when they're in. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Because they're happier people. So that's another thing that we have to think about. And, you know, we, we can't stand still here. We have to just keep thinking, yes. okay, what's best for our customers? What, what is best for our staff? How will they stay here? Now, I'm, I'm very lucky. I have kept most of my staff for years. And, mm. uh, you know, I feel that if you look after your staff, they look after your business because that is the way to do it. It's not all about, you know, no, no one's going to scrimp and scrape and pay the minimum wage. You have to pay people decently for a day's work. Yes, yes. And, and, and here on the show, I spoke to the MD of that company, uh, I think it was a week, two weeks ago, about that. You know, when the four-day week thing yeah. was all the vogue there and he, he was telling me how well it worked for them there. You know, yeah. and, that and like he gave them happened. a choice whether yes. they wanted yes. an increase in their salary or yeah. a four-day week yeah. and tw- all, 100% of them went for the four-day week. Mm, isn't so it's it, very interesting. Isn't it interesting? Anyway, yeah. look, at you're a busy woman. I'm always grateful for your time. Thank you so much. No problem, uh, Jerry, I'm and, missing uh, you. I'm missing you. Going. Uh, well, I'm not doing I've been busy the last few weeks. Louise hasn't been with me and I've been paddling me own canoe and doing uh, other things but I'll be back out be honestly back, you'll be back. I'm on my way back look out good, good. listen thanks a million Jerry good to talk to you take All care right, of yourself bye 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 that's Kira Burke there from Sage and Stone just outside the lake always with an opinion on whatever you talk to her about I'm getting lots of reaction from our conversation it's flying in here I see the text turning around and the uh, WhatsApp have you anything to say about England's win last night what Kira touched on there as well as regards hospitality work life balance, whatever. We love to hear from you. 086-1800-658. WhatsApp or text me to the show now. Oh, where do I start with your comments? I just don't know. But anyway, I'll do my best to get through a few of them here uh, at this time. Um, oh, my God. We're going to have to listen to this forever if they win it, Jerry. My God almighty. It'll be non-stop, says a listener. Hi, Jerry. Kira should stay in the kitchen as she's talking rubbish. Would the English fly the Irish flag if we were in the final? I don't think she said anything, Frank, about flying flags. But she said we should just support them because they are our neighbours. Jerry says, Tom, uh, I don't agree with the Egypt who used the laser pen. Yes, there was a laser shone in uh, Smichael's eyes around the penalty time. But then again, I don't agree with the hundreds of Liverpool fans who attacked the Real Madrid bus and the same Liverpool fans who are supported by the Irish boys, etc. Yet, look at those pros and cons all over. Um, there's another one there. Uh, for this competition, England has a national team, Jerry, as does Scotland, Wales and Northern Ireland. I'm switching off now because I can't be doing with any more lecturing. Oh, don't go. Don't go. Please stay. I'm Jerry Neutral. Uh, I watch the game and will watch the game on Sunday night. I love Berardi, so I'm edging towards Italy. There's an interesting one. If Ireland, Jerry or Denmark uh, got an OG in their favour and also got a soft penalty in their favour, favour either and we scored on the rebound 
we'd be as jubilant as the English and celebrating ourselves for the next 55 years, says a listener to Late Lunch today. I think that's a really good point. Um, now, here's another... <laughs> I can't keep going with these. They're flying. Um, ah, Jerry, uh, I haven't seen Sterling go down as fast. <laughs> Since Brexit, says Mina Corrin and Kells today, I'd love England to win, says Mina, because my late mam was English from Yorkshire. Good on you, Mina. Of course you'd love England to win. Um, there's another one. Uh, could you play something nice for a wonderful... Oh, look, uh, I might do that a little bit later on. I'm not going to finish that one. Uh, football's coming home to Rome. Uh, there says a listener to Rome, Jerry. And no G and a bad penalty decision. Come on, uh, Jerry. Uh, there's another one there. Leave that for the time being. Pick up this one. Um, yes, uh, the English were terrific, says a listener last night. I think I agree with you, Jerry. They deserve to win the game. It was tight enough, but they edged it. And uh, you take your luck when you get it, says another listener. And so on and so on they go. England last night, what do you think? The final on Sunday against Italy, will you be cheering for them? English fans out there, how are you getting on? 086-1800-658. WhatsApp or text me to the show, 1850-715-958. If you'd like to call in, author Oshin McGann is with me after two. Brilliant, brilliant new book about climate change and young people, but taking us to news and weather at two. And your bingo before. Beforehand, it's Frank and Walters. After all, it could be England. Tom says, if the Irish are all, are all so patriotic, if the Irish are all so patriotic, uh, why don't they follow the League of Ireland? Uh, taking it that most of the uh, Irish Premiership boys, our Premier League boys, will be supporting Italy on Sunday, says Tom. Thanks indeed for that. Peter's back. Oh, he's back. I think I think Peter's writing a book uh, when I'm on the air during late lunch. That's all I can conclude at this stage. Anyway, he's left uh, the pandemic alone for a moment and he says, Jerry, FIFA and UEFA should be ashamed of themselves last night. There was VAR. He blatantly dived and then the supporter shining a laser in Michael's eyes. Uh, when Kane was taking the spot kick. Not to talk about the drowning out of the Danish national anthem with constant booing. Where's the sportsmanship there? That's why the world hates them. Only West Brits living in Ireland will be supporting them on Sunday. My hope is that it goes the whole way to penalties and Italy win in sudden death. That would make my year, he says. I've seen them in action myself when I've been out on the continent, English fans, and it is not nice. Thanks indeed for that, Peter. Other ones there saying, Jerry, can anyone explain to me, uh, who doesn't follow soccer and know much about sport or football, how are England playing European football when they're not in Europe anymore? I had that one yesterday and that's somebody else, somebody different today. Well, you see, that's political, whereas football, it's a law unto itself and it comes under the football authorities. That's the reason why they're in there, because it it works like that in the football world, the soccer world, I have to say. There are lots of Irish living and working in England. Uh, they were delighted. Uh, we were delighted to get Jack Charlton and the granny rule brought so, so many players to play with us. Um, Jack would turn in his grave, says a listener, listening to some of the comments about England. Thank you indeed for that one. Very true. Good points you make there, I have to say. Um, another one there. Has uh, anyone copped on out there yet that if you don't want to hear this barrage and all about 1966, all these years, don't watch English television? 
I don't know where we'd be without English television, to be honest with you. I remember two Channel Land. I was never in it. I was lucky here, but if you were, God help you. Uh, another one there in, in the 60s. Hundreds of people were emigrating, but when England won the World Cup, Jerry, that stopped really. It boosted morale. I take you're talking about in the UK or in England itself when they w- won the World Cup there. Keep the comments coming to me. 086-1800-658. WhatsApp or text me to the show if you have something to say. Now, my next guest. Ah, he's a fantastic guy. He's from the northeast, the town of Drogheda. Oshin McGann is his name. He's a best-selling and award-winning writer and illustrator. I enjoyed his company here in the past. And he's on the line because he's written this most interesting book called A Short Hopeful Guide to Climate Change. Oshin, hello again. Hi, Jerry. How's it going? Can you hear me okay? Oh, we have you perfectly there. Indeed, I can. Can you get me? You have me there. You have indeed. Yeah, I can. Yeah, can you hear you fine? Isn't this Zoom thing great? Zoom, where would we be without Zoom? And and of course, it ties into this, uh, you know, this uh, this topic that you're dealing with in the book. I'm curious. I'm intrigued. Look at your brilliance is known in this country and the world over. Why have you turned your attention to this? And it's aimed at younger folk. Yeah, I mean, it's I'm I'm writing. I, I wanted it to be kind of an accessible way uh, into the subject, and climate change is huge. It's it's a vast subject, and there's you know the, there you need experts for for every little bit of it. I'm not an expert on any any aspect of it, but I worked in schools for a long time um, doing creative writing courses that had the theme of climate change. They were what called and uh, they were called um, development education courses. Uh, and it was something I'd wanted to do for a long time, but didn't really kind of wasn't really sure where to start. And then Little Island, the publisher, um, teamed up with Friends of the Earth and they asked me if I would write this book. So um, and I wanted I didn't just want it to be facts. Um, I wanted something that was going to have a kind of a narrative arc to kind of give a story feel to it. And I also wanted to be positive. Um, and I wanted to kind of give the overall picture. So I didn't want to just feel like here's just a disaster that we have to deal with now. I wanted to give the idea that this is kind of part of something that's developed as part of our civilization. It's kind of the it's been the cost of developing a civilization. But in that in that we kind of we have a momentum. We're kind of we're, we're kind of pressing on forward and um, doing something about this now. Dealing with this challenge now is part of that progress. Um, so I really wanted it to be, be hopeful. I, I kind of wanted to really make the point that we have, a, you know, part of this is to do with the power that we have over our environment. Um, and in that, there's, there's great hope to be found because we have, you know, we have a massive influence over our environment. So we have ways we can change it. We have that power. Um, we're not fighting against nature. You know, it's, it's, it's our own kind of bad habits we're fighting against. Um, and a lot of the stuff that we need to do is stuff we should be doing anyway. You know, stuff we, we should be doing to kind of uh, make our own lives and our own environment better mm, as well. Mm. And, you know, you do go back. Like, you, this is, uh, you step way back and you talk about, you know, the... Uh, the whole establishment of this, you know, this, what, whatever we live in here, you know, the universe and then the planet Earth, how it stands out really from the rest as far as we know at this minute in time. And you take us through, as you say, you celebrate what we've achieved. And, and what we've achieved has been on the back of fossil fuels, as I don't have to tell you this. Um, look, weaning ourselves away from this, I, I want to ask you this. This is aimed at young people, but young people aren't in government or power. Where do you see, you know, the real change being affected? How can they, you know, have influence, have say when they're not elected? Um, well, I mean, that's that's a very good question. I think 
one of the things about writing for young people is you're, you're kind of taking the, you're playing the long game, you know, you're hoping you're going to have an effect over a long period and, and kind of a, um, uh, a long-term effect on somebody's life when you write for children. But actually this, this whole thing is as much aimed as adults as kids for a start, because I think a lot of adults are now becoming interested They're you know, particularly people who haven't maybe taken an interest before or didn't know where to start. And because it's such a massive subject, it's very hard to know um, where to start finding out stuff about it. It's, it's yeah. very, there are very few places you can find out everything in one go, like basically cover the basics. And I wanted to do that. I also wanted to, um, I wanted to be interesting and compelling. I mean, one of the, the, the fascinating things I find about this whole subject is that, every, you know, there are so many different things that are connected to each other and, and connect to our lives. So a big part of writing the book was to make it relevant to our daily lives. That's that was a really big part of it. Um, and if I, um, so the idea of on one hand you want to reach, you want it to be accessible to kids. So I kind of the way I say it is, it's kind of suitable for about a nerdy ten upwards. I'd have read, I'd have read this kind of book when I was ten. Yeah. Um, but it's also that makes it an easier read for an adult who's looking for a place to start. Yeah. And it's very easy for to go from the point where you don't know enough about it and you're, you're kind of you're not sure what to do about it or how, you know where to start doing something about it. And, and from there, go to the point where you've learned so much and you're feeling overwhelmed and you don't know, you know, it's such a big thing that you just can't yes. deal with it. Mm. So you're trying to kind of catch people in between, you know, at the point where they're interested, they want to know more. Um, they want to know how it's going to affect their own life uh, and catch them before they kind of get to the point where I, it's just too much. I'm taking it all in. And I don't know what to do. Yes. And, you know, um, I have to so say to you, you've, you've caught me. This is what I wanted to say. I know it's aimed, as you say, at 10 up or whatever, but it certainly is a book that I would say would be of huge interest to to anybody really and and you've done that it, it's you've nearly synopsized for people you know where we're coming from where we're at and where we're going to now i want to just pick something out and it's from you've written this yourself in in the introduction and i just want to read a couple of lines you say We've developed as civilised beings too. As our world becomes more unified, more enlightened and better educated, we've established ideas like human rights, democracy uh, and the value of empathy. We are taking better care of each other. Our world is more peaceful than it's ever been. I would have to say to you, that's not my impression. Um, yeah, I mean, one of, the, one of the problems when we think of this is that we live relatively short lives. You know, mm. we, we, we tend to think of, you know, 50 years or 100 years as a long time. But in the lifetime of the world or in the lifetime even of our civilization, that's a very short time. Um, so if you think about our civilization, perhaps if we say it's, it's developed over about 10,000 years. So we started farming about um, age 10,000 years ago. And that was really the time when humans started to become a, the sophisticated kind of society that we are now. Um, but even that's really, really fast compared to the development, say, for instance, um, of the world, of the geology of the world or the, um, you know, even evolution. We're, we, can, we have raced ahead of evolution. So even though to us everything feels very, um, you know, it feels like these things have happened over a long time, they've mm. actually happened over a much short, shorter time yes. than, we, than we appreciate. And that's one of the problems with climate change is that for us it feels like it's been going on for, you know, we, we can't get our head around the scale of it. But actually the worst of it has been going on over the last few hundred years. Mm. Um, and that is, that's like the blink of an eye in the development of um, the world, you know, the, the kind of the, the growth of our planet. Yeah. So... 
Um, we sometimes, when we look when we look at news, we tend to dwell on bad news, and news tends to be bad. It tends yes. to be, you know, it, it wants to get our attention, it wants to hold our attention. You know, this is the way news. It, it's it's kind of set up so that we're yep. we're shown big dramatic things all the time, yes. and we get a sense that this, this is what you know. We see Trump, we see Brexit, we see wars and famines and all these things. So we see these because they are what make the news. Yeah. But actually, the things that are happening slowly and steadily are are generally positive progress. I mean, we are, you know, you look at Europe. Europe has not been to war with, the, you know, the countries of the EU have not been to war in our lifetime, mm. or at least in the kind of in, in the last, you know, since the Second World War. That's an extraordinary um, achievement. Mm. But because it feels like a long time, um, it doesn't feel like something we're part of, that we're part of that progress. Yes, yes. No, um, and I have to say, so you, you've addressed that brilliantly, and, and I couldn't have said it better myself. You are right. The focus is on uh, the key events, and they're generally bad, and that's what creates my impression and others. But if you took the whole globe into consideration, it is a different story over the long term. The other thing is this. Yeah. You know, we can all affect change. I've said it here before many times. It starts with the power of one. You and I, if you're listening to us today, we can all make a difference. But if I say, for example, and I don't mean to single anybody out, but in the developing world, let's say Africa, for example, and Mm. uh, a country has resources, the fossil fuels that, you know, we've built this progress on. And now we're saying as the other side of the coin who've come through all this to them, well, hold on a minute here. You shouldn't really be mining this. You shouldn't be taking the oil from the ground. Stop taking down the forest. And they'll say, all right for you to say that. How do you address that one? Yeah, I mean, that's a really big issue um, because it's very hard for us who live in kind of the wealthy developed world to say, all right, you can't have what we've had for years. Um, and that the 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 answer to that is that we have to think on kind of on a global scale. And again, I think that's a very positive thing. We have to think about uh, the world on behalf of our species, not on any one country. So that means that the countries that need help have to be helped by the wealthier countries. Yes. Um, and actually what's going on now with the vaccines is a really good example of this. We can't just have one part of the world vaccinated against this pandemic. We have to make sure everybody gets vaccinated. And that's the way we have to start thinking. And and we are thinking more like that, but you know, we're we're a big civilization. So it takes time to it's it's slow progress sometimes. And as I said, because of our relatively short lives, these things feel like they're happening over a very, very long time. And, you know, there would be countries who feel rightly hard done by when they're being told that they have to do a certain thing, yes. when actually the wealthier countries have by far contributed to this um, to this kind of crisis. Mm, so... Mm. Um, the other thing, the other thing I was thinking was this. Um, you know, you've studied your history like myself, and civilizations have come and gone, and we are a civilization, whether we like it or not, a more connected civilization than ever before. Is it the way of this life, this universe? I said, wherever we live, wherever we're about here, that it's perhaps inevitable that you know there will be decay and dying out and um, a reemergence again in the future. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it depends how you want to kind of define civilization. When I when I talk about it, I'm talking about kind of human civilization yeah. overall. But mm. you could talk about, for instance, different empires or different yes. kind of yes. waves of civilization. Um, and one of the things that kind of defines the collapse of, of those civilizations is when the people at the top lose lose touch with what's going on at mm. the bottom. 
Mm. Um, and there is, you know, there is, you can see elements of that around, you know, when you've got billionaires saying, I don't know what, what, my, what to do with my money. I'm going to go into space. Yes. And you're kind of saying, well, actually, maybe we could kind of make sure the kids get education and the poor people can get food. Um, so that, that could be a bad sign. Um, but it is, um, it is something that we are, as I said before, we kind of need to think as a species as opposed to countries or continents yeah. because this thing's coming for everybody and um, it is going to affect everybody. And, and we're kind of seeing it in the news now. I mean, you've got, you've got floods in, in Texas. You've got um, there's uh, wildfires in Siberia, which is in the, you know, parts of it are in the Arctic circle. Yes. Um, there's just so many of these things now, and we're seeing them. This is no longer kind of oh, it's it's happening. Some it's going to happen sometime in the future. This is happening now, mm. um, and the really the countries that are going to be hurt worst by it generally have contributed the least to it. Um, so that's you know we have to think in terms of our planet, the good of our planet, and we are we have been starting to do that. You know we've been doing that for a few decades. Um, but the more we do that, the better we're better off we're going to be, and the more we're able to the more we'll be able to adapt to what there's some of this stuff we will not be able to stop. So we're going to have to adapt to it, yeah. and then what what we can stop we should. But we have to be thinking in terms of you know we can't be thinking about our little patch. We have to be thinking about the world as a whole. Yes, um, and individually you can feel like there's not much you can do about it. But part of that you know you have to think in terms of well who are we who are we choosing as our politicians as our leaders. Um, what are we doing as our communities? Uh, you know, how are we treating our farmland? All these things we have to think about. These are the basics we have to look after: water, food. You know, these are all going to be affected in a big way. So we have to think about what we, you know, how each of us can contribute. But also, really, in terms of um, our government in particular, you know, what are they doing? that's going to help and what are they doing that's doing damage? Absolutely. I, I want to say this to you. I'm going to finish now and I want to say this finishing. This is brilliant, Oshin. You, you're a brilliant guy and I, I've said it to you before and all you've done, but this is outstanding. And I say to listeners today, Thank you very much. I say to listeners today, I know you said 10 years of age, it would be of great benefit to get this book and have it in your home and get people to read it because this is condensed it's thought-provoking. The solutions are there as well and the way forward. It's called A Short, Hopeful Guide to Climate Change by Ushin McGann. It's available all over the place at the moment. It comes with my five-star recommendation. It really, really does. You've done a great service, I have to say. Thank that. you very much, sir. Well done to Ushin and we'll talk again. Thank you for joining me on the show. Cheers now. Take care See of you yourself. Now. Bye-bye, bye-bye. It's brilliant, folks. And, you know, we love our books on Late Lunch and our authors and our book club and everything. This book is outstanding. I'm telling you this. I'm saying this to you today. A Short Hopeful Guide to Climate Change by Oshin McGann. I mention it again. Well, well worth getting and reading. Ten years of age and up. Late Lunch, LMFM Radio. More from you in a moment. Jerry Rafferty and Steeler's Wheel stuck in the middle. I love that song because I've felt like that many times in my life. Not when I'm sitting in this seat talking to you every afternoon. Never, never, never. But you know on occasions in your life, clowns to the left of me, jokers to the right. I'm sure many of you can empathise with that for sure. Oh, you're on fire this afternoon in late lunch land. Let me try and get through some more of your comments. Yes, Jerry. believe it or not, 
Jack Charlton was English. He was. I remember the night we played England. You remember they rioted the fans in Lansdowne? I was there that night and Jack Charlton was ashamed of them. But remember, Jack Charlton was a World Cup winner with England and he came here and look what he did for this country as well. Oh, unbelievable. Jerry, the best team will win and there's nothing we can do or say that will change anything about it, says Paddy and Trim this afternoon. Thank you, Paddy. Jerry, you hit the nail on the head. What would we do without English TV? Of course, if England win, you're going to hear it on English TV, same as if we won and the English were tuned in to us all the time, they'd never hear the end of it. You're so right. Jerry, a lot of English fans ruin it for others by the brutish way they carry on before and after games. You have a very good point there as well. That is true. There's no doubt about that. Uh, there's uh, an element follows them that are not nice. And we saw it ourselves here in Ireland many moons ago. Jerry, remember we were devastated when Henry Thierry, put the ball in the net with his hand. England were devastated when Maradona did it. And they did the same last night against Denmark, who are devastated by a cheating diver, says a listener. Hi, Jerry. Don't read my name out. But last Friday, I got a text to say I missed my appointment on the 1st of July for the vaccine. I never got a text. I did ring them, so I have an appointment for Sunday, but I just wondered if anybody else experienced the same. You know, not get the text message and miss their appointment for the vaccination. Did anybody? If you did, let me know. 086-1800-658 by WhatsApp or text. Jerry says, David, I would love to see England win the Euros. We support English teams every week. Come on, England, says David today on late lunch. Jerry, did you see the behaviour of the English fans last night? Says Mickey. To boo a national anthem just because the other team, uh, their national song is playing. It's the height of disrespect, says Mickey. That's why people don't want England to win. Their fans are a disgrace, he says. Jerry, have we to listen to this again on Monday? I hope England draw and lose on penos, says Liam. And then I'll go north on Monday the 12th and uh, I'm not finishing that comment there. I hear what you're saying, Liam. Yes, you will have to listen to it again on Monday, especially if they win. Paddy's been on from Navin to say there's a lot of moaning about the game and not wanting to listen to people. Why don't they just simply turn it off or change the channel and watch Love Island? Oh, in the name of God. Watch. No, Paddy didn't say that. I'm adding that on. Watch Love Island. I'd rather sit and watch a strip of paint on my wall dry then watch that stuff. Rubbish. Absolute rubbish. Thanks, Paddy. Thanks for your comments. Thanks to everybody for the comments this afternoon. Keep them coming to me. 086-1800-658. WhatsApp or text me to the show after the break. To it, to woo. It's all about owls. Now, let me tell you one of my little vignettes. Uh, last weekend, I think it was Saturday or Sunday, late, just coming dusk time into dark, I was driving, I was out for a spin, coming back home on my own, the car, and the next thing, this massive white apparition appeared down in front of the car, swooped up into the sky. I said to myself, that's a blimmin' owl. And then, ironically, my little newsletter from Birdwatch Ireland, of which I'm a proud member, arrived, and here's a story in it. Barn owls, yes, it's good news on the barn owl front in Ireland. Last year, one of the best breeding years on record in recent times. To tell me more, he's our good friend. Niall Hatch from Birdwatch Ireland, welcome back. Thanks for having me. It is good news, isn't it? It's good to hear that the barn owls are bucking the trend of so many other birds and are bouncing back, at least in some parts of the country. Was that a barn owl I saw, would you say, uh, Niall? 
Well, it could it could well have been. You mentioned that it seemed very white, and that's often how people would spot barn owls. They look like a ghostly apparition floating mm. across a road sometimes. Uh, very often they're passing above the beams of the headlights, so people don't see them. But when they fly, just dip low enough, then sometimes they can be illuminated there. Yeah. Uh, that said, our most common species of owl, the, the long-eared owl, which is, is more numerous than the barn owl across the country, it can look quite pale in flight as well. But if you get good view and it has this sort of heart-shaped face and is ghostly white then it's almost certainly a barn owl or the late late show owl yes yes (laughs) indeed well I I have to say to you if I was a betting man now I'd have to say in my book it was a barn owl and here in the northeast I know looking at the map that you produced it's more to the south of the country but obviously they're here as well they are. As far as we know, barn owls do occur in all counties in Ireland, but there's a real stronghold for them in Munster. And uh, there's one, it seems, particularly strong reason for that. Uh, barn owls, of course, they love to eat rats and mice. They feed on rodents. Uh, and so they're very susceptible to being poisoned by rat poison. What happens is that the rodents eat the rat poison, then the, the owls eat that uh, the poisoned rat or mice and they get sick themselves. Mm. In Munster particularly, there are two other species there that we don't have in the rest of the country. We have the, the bank vole and the greater white-toothed shrew. Now, neither of them are native animals to Ireland. It's thought that the bank bow may have hitched a ride with the Arden Crusher building materials when that hydroelectric project was being done. And it seems that uh, the greater white-toothed shrew came in from Eastern Europe at some stage in the last couple of decades. Nobody's really quite sure when. Uh, but what happens is the owls, when they're in, in those areas, they love to eat those two species. So they feed on those. And th- th- those species themselves, their diet means they don't eat rat poison. So it means that the, the owls in Munster aren't being exposed to as much poison as they are in the rest of Ireland. So that seems to be a big factor in that. And, you know, the recovery, Niall, you mentioned, you know, what they uh, predate on there. What are the big reasons, do you feel, behind the recovery? Because, you know, habitats, we've spoken before, you know, they're really losing habitat. Why are they coming back, do you think? Well, it's still early days and we just have one year of statistics to, to tell us how they're doing. We know that uh, there's a minimum of 192 nesting sites confirmed last year. And uh, that's obviously the lowest possible number because there's other sites that wouldn't have been surveyed and nests that would have ev- ev- evaded detection. So we know there are almost 200 confirmed nest sites. Um, but what's very telling is that at 59 of those nest sites, the owls were using artificially provided nest boxes that Birdwatch Ireland and its branches and other volunteer groups had installed. Uh, and that seems to be turning the tide for them in some areas. It seems a lack of natural nest sites was holding them back in some places because barn owls, they almost always nest inside a a man-made structure, very often inside a a barn or a shed or some other kind of of agricultural building, uh, but also inside old ruined churches and and, uh, other buildings like that and old castles. Uh, But some of those have fallen into such disrepair that it's impossible for the owls to actually find crevices to nest in. And of course, a lot of modern farm buildings, they don't have the ledges and the nooks and crannies and the access points for these owls to get in. So putting up a, a barn owl nest box, which is a it's quite a large construction there's a few different designs for them but it can be really effective and of course a barn owl is a great species to attract to a farm or indeed to any area because they eat so many rodents so they're a great natural pest control yeah and that's an important point to make they should be welcomed in terms of of their year how many clutches will they have how many eggs do they lay well, it, it varies quite widely. And in most years, they just have one clutch. But what was amazing for us uh, last summer was that in many uh, locations, they actually had two, which is brilliant. And so that means the nesting season was extended very widely. They even had some, some chicks with them still into the winter. And they can, lay, uh, they can lay up to five or six eggs. Now, it's very unusual for most of those chicks to survive. What mm. happens is uh, they stagger the incubation of those eggs. So most birds, like let's say a blackbird or a robin in your garden, what will happen is the female will lay all of her eggs, usually 
usually one a day or one every second day. And it's only when she finishes laying, uh, then the, she starts incubating the eggs. So they all, the embryos develop all at the same rate. With barn owls, what they do is the female lays the egg and then starts incubating immediately. Then there's a gap of a couple of days before she lays the second one and so on. But that means the first embryo has started to develop. So when they, the chicks hatch out of the eggs, they're staggered over a period of a few days, which gives the ones that hatch first a real head start. They're much bigger than their siblings when they hatch out. And that means they get preferential treatment when it comes to food because they're able to fight for it. It's only if there's a lot of food around that um, the younger chicks will be able to survive. So in many cases, the, the younger chicks don't survive. There's sort of an insurance policy there in case something happened to the earlier ones. What we saw was in some cases in, in 2020, uh, there were three or even four chicks surviving in some of these broods, which is very encouraging, I have to say. Now, the um, the noise, I said to wit to woo just before you came on, we were <laughs> going to talk about owls. These guys don't do that. It's a shriek, isn't it? It is a shriek. It's a, it's a blood-curdling kind of scream. It's something if you heard on a dark night, you're walking along <laughs> or you're out in the garden, you hear the sound. It, it actually you know, make, really does make the hair stand up on the back of your neck. It's thought that it actually is the origin of the banshee in, in Irish mythology uh, because uh, this, this ghostly apparition appearing in the sky making this screaming sound. So that's what a barn owl sounds like. And also they have this very harsh kind of hissing, rasping sound that the young will make, particularly around the nest. So that's often how they're detected. A lot of the survey work that's done to find them is by listening for those sounds. Uh, the owl that you mentioned there that famously goes to it to that's the that's the the tawny owl mm. which is a very common species across the water in Britain and across all of Europe and into Asia but it doesn't occur in Ireland so we never hear the to it to here in Ireland there you yeah. go there you yeah. go he's that's not it. here that fella anyway the other no, thing no. the other thing I wanted to ask you they are predators as you mentioned and they do a great job on farms uh, and yards etc to keep uh, mice and rats and voles and things like that down does anything pre- uh, prey on uh, an owl uh, not so much, especially the adults. They tend to have a, quite a, a long, hassle-free life normally. Um, obviously, sometimes they're occasionally hit by cars or they fall foul of poison. In terms of natural predators, though, what can happen is that the chicks, when they're in the nest, they are vulnerable. So uh, things like pine martens can sometimes get in. Stoats even could get in and raid mm. those nests. And so the chicks are vulnerable. And when they get to adulthood, because they're um, you know, quite well able to defend themselves with their strong beaks and claws and because they're almost always exclusively out at night uh, they tend to avoid the attentions of most other predators so things like foxes and, and and even cats and so on pose less of a risk to them than they do to most of our other birds uh, so what yeah if they, if they can if they can avoid any of the human perils in the landscape then they tend to do quite well now what about the other two because we just have three species in Ireland the barn the long-eared and the short-eared owl how are they getting on well, so taking the shorter dial first, that's our scarcest one. They do breed in small numbers intermittently in the Sleeve Bloom Mountains, but they're more of a winter visitor to the rest of Ireland, particularly in coastal areas. And their populations kind of fluctuate depending on the fortunes of the birds on the continent. So we get we know we get some of them coming into us from France each winter, where I'm based in, in, in Wicklow's in the marshes at Bertoturnan's Nature Reserves here in the Wicklow coast. We sometimes see them in the winter. Uh, and the thing about um, the, the short-eared owls is that although they're our scarcest owl, they're probably the easiest to see because they fly during the daytime. So it's the only owl you're likely to see out and about hunting especially over marshland in the daytime mm. So, and they, they tend to perch on the ground rather than on posts or so on or in bushes or trees so it's easy enough to, to see them if they are around. Uh, we've mentioned the barn owl which is strictly nocturnal and tends to be around old ruined buildings and farmyards uh, and then by far our commonest owl is the long-eared owl uh, which is found right across the country. It's more numerous than most people would realise. It tends to be an owl of woodlands and they particularly love mixed or coniferous woodland next to areas with open fields or pasture or meadows or so on where they can, you know, they can nest and sleep in the woodland and then hunt in the fields where they find the rodents uh, at nighttime. They're nocturnal as well. And they're very active, particularly this time of year. Normally, they're very, very secretive. It's hard to find them. 
they make a sort of a barking noise, a bit like a, a sound, hearing a dog in the distance. Mm-hmm. The adults also make a hooting sound in the breeding season as well. Uh, but at this time of year specifically, uh, we ask, we're asking people to keep an ear out for the sounds of the young begging their parents for food, because that's when it's easiest to find them. At the moment, the young longer owls will have left the nest, but they're still not independent. They're flying around the, near the area where the, nest, uh, where the nest is. And what they're doing is they're calling up, usually well after dark, uh, for their parents to bring them food. And the sound is unmistakable. It's a, it's a squeaking sound. It sounds like a rusty gate swinging on its hinges. And I'm sure quite a few listeners may have heard this in recent weeks and not understood what it was. Um, but if you heard that, that's young long-eared owls begging their parents for food. And uh, you can actually track them down when they're when they're when they're doing that. Often around uh, 11 p.m. or midnight is a good time to do that. But anytime after dark, really. You know, if you don't want to watch Love Island, you can go and t- you can go and look for barn owls and, and long-eared owls instead. Much better, uh, much better, much better night. idea. Yes. Absolutely. <laughs> and uh, we're asking people to report those to us at birdwatchirland.ie. We have a survey at the moment going on for both uh, barn owls and for long-eared owls. Uh, listen, folks, if you do come across, if you can help, it's very, very important information and it's good news on the owl front. Birdwatchirland.ie. As I always tell you, I'm a member myself. They're a fantastic organisation. Join it for your children too. Teach your children. Get them involved. They send out great newsletters, posters, books, you name it. It's all there and I can't recommend them highly enough. So the news is good, Niall, just to finish on the owl front. It is. It's nice to be able to report some good yeah. news for change. There's so much doom and gloom in the world of conservation. Well, here's a big success. Ah, absolutely. Niall, you're so good to us. Thank you so much indeed for joining me again today. My pleasure. Thank you. Take care. That's uh, Niall Hatch there from Birdwatch Ireland. Oh, they're great. They really are great. You'll get the, the membership is worth... Uh, it really is. It's worth its weight in gold. And I love it. And I look forward to getting the electronic newsletters from them, the little publications, etc. And I encourage you to support them because they're doing fantastic work for our feathered friends. Up next, it's our Specsavers competition. Who will we be calling today? They have a story. There is a song. Stay with us. Specsavers, check them out. Free hearing aids, which are PRSI, and we're celebrating. Yes, we are. They've given us a lovely prize each day. A voucher for Specsavers, €189 and a 75 Ticketmaster voucher to boot, €264 in total. Thank you to everybody who sent us in their song and their story. There's still time. I have one more tomorrow if you have a story around a song let me know 086-1800-658 by whatsapp or text standing by in county me there's neve kelly a great name the kelly name hello neve hi jerry uh how are you today great not a bother tell me the story uh, about this song don't tell them the song yet this song why is it special to you Oh, I'd say my husband now is listening in the other room, so I'd say he's going to be cringing. But anyway, I'll tell it anyway. Go on. <laughs> oh, back in the day, and I think it's about 15 years ago, I counted up um, in Taboo, in Navin, Solar, and um, Nights. This this song always came on, and it always came on when I was in the toilet. <laughs> so... Uh, I had to, I could hear it playing in the toilet, so I had to rush out, get on the dance floor and meet him on the dance floor. <laughs> Do the business, pull everything up, charge yeah. out and away you went. <laughs> I always made it just before the song was over. But I have to say, I got married two years ago and I had to make sure that I was on the dance floor before him, before the song came on. <laughs> I love this, but you were always there and you had the dance. I'm always kind of known as being late. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Good on you. And tell me, uh, two years ago, where were you married? 
got married in St Mary's Church in Navan and then the reception was held in the Headford Arms in Kells. Oh, beautiful. What a combination. Fantastic. And a day to remember. Yeah, and now we have our own little daughter, Avine. She was only one at the end of May. So. Ah, lovely, lovely story. And listen, you got married just before, you know, weddings were really knocked on the head. Yeah, we were just so lucky. Yeah. Oh my, oh my. Have you great memories of taboo nights and solar, yeah? Oh, it brings back a lot of memories. <laughs> <laughs> and this fella, his name is Daniel O'Brien. How did you meet? Oh, you laugh again, Jerry. <laughs> On the streets of Navin. <laughs> oh, oh, oh. Oh, we were going. I was with my friends, he was with his friends. And uh, we cut, I think we couldn't get into uh, nights or solar, one of them. And then. We said, oh, let's go to Taboo. Right. So we went to uh, Taboo, got into Taboo, and we were just kind of chatting and all that. And then, of course, at the end of the night, he said to me, oh, can I have your number? And uh, I said, oh, sure, look, here's my number. Shall we give it a go? And 12, 13 years later, we're still giving it a go. Oh, my God, me chambers, you took your time. I know, I know, but sure. You were sure. sure. Oh, you were sure, you were sure. Well, listen... You're a winner today. Congratulations to you. Thanks, Jerry. Good job. You got the number and you gave Thank it to him you. because this is your number. It's Don't Stop Believing from Journey for Neve and Daniel. Thanks, Neve. Thanks, Jerry. Bye. Bye. Just a small town girl Living in a lonely world She took the midnight train Back to your comments. Football and Love Island, Jerry, are both fantasy. The big guy thinks he'll get the good-looking girl into bed and England believe they'll win the Euros. <laughs> I love the analogy. Come on, Italy. Oh, and Jerry, I forgot to mention I'm Irish. So there's somebody up for the Italians, of course. Um, many Italians living in this country and English as well. And they'll be all out in their colours and supporting their teams, I'm sure, on Sunday night. Jerry, I watched the highlights on BBC. I honestly say to you, I think they were watching a different game. They had no doubt it was a penalty. And there wasn't a word about the second ball on the pitch. Well, just on that, I was speaking to my good friend, uh, Errol, uh, this morning. And um, Errol Sweeney. And he was telling me that... Uh, the second ball on the pitch, no. Uh, that was not an issue, no, wouldn't be an issue, but he thought it was a soft penalty. Errol, the ref, thought it was soft. Uh, anyway, let me move on to my artist of the week, who is the wonderful Nat King Cole. And I did mention, I think it was Monday, he got married very young. He was married at 18, but he divorced Nadine Robinson 10 years later. They had no children. And in 1948, he married Maria Hawkins. And he went on to have five children uh, with Maria Two of those children were adopted by the Coles. Now, during his lifetime, you can just imagine the times he lived in. Racism reared its ugly head on a number of occasions. He purchased a house in a white neighbourhood in Los Angeles. And the Ku Klux Klan put up burning crosses in his garden. And the neighbours tried to intimidate him and run him out of town. But Nat King Cole and his family weren't for budging. Fair play to them. He was attacked on stage one time in Birmingham, Alabama. That was in 1956 because he was accused of mixing with white women. Uh, there were attempts to kidnap him. 
He was refused service in shops, restaurants, hotels he went to stay in. Oh, it was really shocking. And he had to endure all that during his lifetime. There were many challenges he faced in what was an apartheid United States at the time. He also felt the heat from what you would say his own people who believed he shouldn't be associating with white folk, giving them any credence. Nat King Cole had to walk a fine line, but he did. Very successfully too, and always with one of these. Smile, though your heart is aching. Smile, even though it's breaking. You just have to let that orchestration at the end play, don't you? Is he not the greatest crooner of all time, Nat King Cole? What a velvet voice. What a brilliant man and his interpretation of so many songs. They're timeless. They really, really are timeless. They're beautiful. I love them. I always have. And he's (laughs) way before my era, really. But it just shows you songs and music like that transcends the generations. It really does. Nat King Cole, my artist of the week and more about him and a wonderful song to finish out tomorrow, Friday on Late Lunch. May 16th, 2020 is a day that will remain forever with the Dunn family from Kellystown. Yes, it was one of the saddest occasions. I remember it well myself. Thomas Dunn lost his life tragically on a farm and he's been remembered this weekend and I'm joined on the line by his brother, Kevin. Hello, Kevin. Hi, Jerry. How are things? Good, thanks. And thank you very much for joining me on the show. He was thanks, only Bob. 18, but this fella packed so much, didn't he, into those 18 years? Oh, Jesus, he did. He was a, he was an amazing young fella. Uh, the stuff he got up to, we heard more stories after his hmm. passing that we were probably meant to hear until that day, you know. But um, I was a tragedy, but like we're looking forward to remembering, remembering him this weekend and uh, all of his friends and family and the people he worked with are going to be there as well. So we're looking forward to a lot. Yeah, because he loved life. His family, the countryside, farming, tractors, cars, machinery, all that type of thing, didn't he? Oh, absolutely. He So he always, from the age of six, I suppose, until you know, farmers will be familiar, you learn how they drive the tractors and uh, and if people in the towns can't get over that, they're still trying to get the licence under 18 or so, you know. Mm. And um, uh, he was just, he was amazing. And like, even from the age of 14, he was a little entrepreneur. He, he used to, he rented fields and, made little bales of hay out and he had all the lads from Tully Allen in helping him to take out of them and he saw them and he was he was just all into the farming and his cars and, and everything. He was, a, he was a, a lease of life, you know. And I know he listened to us here on LMFM, didn't he? He was a big country music fan. He was, he was. He loved uh, uh, he loved all of the country music and yeah. he, and he might, when he passed away, the parents was, uh, was really uh, uh, proud of the fact that he loved his country music and he liked a bit of dance music as well but yeah. we, uh, I think they're mainly proud of his, his country music uh, yeah. roots, you know uh, Listen, he, he was a great guy and look at he he is one of these people who, you know going about his day about his job uh, an unbelievably freak accident and it takes his life away and this is the whole reason behind this tractor run isn't it? You're supporting a wonderful charity on his behalf Absolutely I know well, like when as soon as as soon as his passing happened uh, Embrace Farm were good enough to get in contact with us and to support my parents and my sister Grania 
and um, like they sent over flyers and they were on the phone anytime they needed any support and linked us up with people in similar in- uh, incidents and, and uh, like people who to embrace farm they support uh, uh, people who have lost loved ones on farms or even just being through uh, farm life changing experiences you know and they're amazing they're an amazing charity and I, I, we're really proud to be able to give back to them um, if we're doing this event and, and in memory of Thomas so he'd be very proud of Yeah, and didn't he would. Embrace Farm, they are a wonderful organisation helping people all of the time and you're giving back. Now, now, we have to say, you and I mightn't have been talking today. Sunday's event was touch and go, wasn't it? Oh, yeah, see, see, we weren't expecting such a crowd, but the the reaction has been amazing. See, the the newspapers, I I asked them if they were interested in having having a few photographs on the day and they said, oh, she will do press releases and everything beforehand and and then uh, me, Chronicle, even had him on the back page. And I, I couldn't believe it when I heard that people were saying they put him on the back page. And then yeah. the sales LMFM as well. And see, the, see, we needed, with the crowd coming, extra space. And we luckily got that sorted on Wednesday in a field behind the, the Sally Gardens Inn. And uh, we're, we're delighted that it's able to go ahead now. Oh, it is great because you and I spoke and you said, look, we just need the final thumbs up here and yeah. everybody's delighted that you got it and this is going to happen. So tell yeah, us what's yeah. happening on Sunday. What time are you gathering? Where are you gathering? And what? where can people, you know, have a look at what's happening and support you, of course? Yeah, brilliant. So we posted everywhere with the, with the locations for, uh, uh, for viewing the, the run. If you're not going to be at the Sally Gardens. And we have on the posters as well the, the route we're going to go on. So we're going to go from the Sally Gardens uh, up to Slane, through the village and up by the school, then to Balrennie Cross, through, Tully, through to Tully Allen, left to Cullen, back to Balrennie Cross, by Thomas's house and back to the Sally. And it, they, so registration for tractors, vintage cars or any lorries, which we, we, we ask people just to have no trailers on the back for space. Mm. Um, uh, that's going to be from 11 o'clock on Sunday morning. And then uh, we leave at around one o'clock on Sunday to start the tractor run itself. Lovely. And registration is €20. Euro. And, uh, of course, if you're not even going in this, you can support it uh, uh, besides uh, taking part. Yeah, absolutely. Um, well, we have a, we've amazing support. We, we, can't, we can't get over the support we have, uh, through, not only through volunteers for stewarding, but like from sponsors and uh, sponsors for, for a raffle. We have a raffle on the day, so we have amazing spot prizes to give out. On the day, you can you can uh, support it by buying a raffle ticket, and you can donate as well. But like um, the donations, if you want to donate, you can come up on the day, and the brace will be there as well. And um, yeah, we just have we just have some amazing support so far, and everyone is welcome to come up on the day. So we're looking forward to having everyone there and meeting every everyone. No, he'd be delighted with this for sure. To oh, see definitely. the well of support uh, that's coming to you for, for this event. And a big mention too to Keely Agri and Mead Farm Machinery who've also uh, come in with, with terrific uh, support. You're very uh, kind, yeah. No, not at all. And uh, it's one of those things, you know, there hasn't been a lot happening. I don't have to remind you this last year or more, but yeah. here it's another sign that we're getting back and that you can uh, organise this is wonderful. Exactly. We, 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 because of COVID, we had to put the event off twice and put it back. But now that we can have a bigger crowd, uh, the guys are on board and we're good to go Sunday. So we're looking forward to everyone being there. So, folks, it's this Sunday, Sally Garden. It all begins around 12, 11 o'clock in the morning, isn't it? You say you're starting to gather from 11, 12 and you're on the road then from 1 o'clock. And it's in memory of 18-year-old Thomas Dunn, a wonderful, yeah. wonderful guy. Look, good luck Great to you job. with it, Kevin. 
Thanks very much, Jerry. I really appreciate the coverage. Not at all. You're so welcome. Take care of yourself. Bye-bye. 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 Take care. Oh, God, an awful tragedy that there at 18 years of age. And uh, I'm sure the family are looking forward to Sunday and remembering their wonderful son, Thomas Dunn. That's almost a lot on late lunch today. Just to tell you that tomorrow I'll be talking to Paul Bath. And he has a remarkable story of breaking free from a life of addiction in his 40s. Chelsea Farrell, former Miss Ireland, is with us on the show again tomorrow. How's she be getting on? She's in her 20s, coping with COVID, and she's exciting news as well, I can tell you. Larry Stout making music for years. Now he's making guitars. He's with me too. Leon Blanche looks ahead to the sport. I have your riddle on Friday. And if you have a song and a memory... Get in touch with me. There's still time to get in there for that wonderful prize from Specsavers. Eddie Caffrey's raring to go with the drive next. We're leaving you today in the company of Bruno Mars and just the way you are. See you tomorrow, 1.30 Friday, for your final late lunch of the week. The Late Lunch with Blackstone Motors, Drahada Dundalk and Cavan. We have amazing offers available across the Renault, Dacia and Opel range. Whether it is a petrol, diesel, LPG, plug-in hybrid or electric, we have the perfect car for you. See blackstonemotors.ie Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Want flexibility? Take yoga. Want flexibility with your health insurance? Check out United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly medical, dental, and vision coverage that may be right for you. More at uh1.com. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns.